Thank you for downloading this podcast and welcome to Arrow Bandwidth, the podcast to help the channel better understand the trends, technologies and concepts facing the IT industry today. I'm your host, David Fern, and we hope you enjoy this Arrow production. And please subscribe. Thanks. Hi and welcome back. And uh, yeah, we're here, season two. New surroundings, but uh, but the same old cohort of presenters. So my name's David Fern. My and I'm always joined by the man himself, the man who, who well, just can't wait to talk, Mr. Richard Holmes. Hello, everyone. <laughs> I thought we were going to do Markham and Wise or uh, a two Ronnie's things there. And so I, I'm, I'm David Fern and he's Richard Holmes, but never mind. Never mind. Sadly, Rich, I'm a little bit too young for that sort of thing. Uh, <laughs> started already, on it? Never mind. It certainly has. It certainly has. So we're back, season two. We, uh, I'd love to say that we got sort of... Uh, asked to come back on, but we've sort of just decided that it sounded like a good idea. So we're going to crack on and, yeah. and see if you all listen again this year. Yeah, well, I don't know about you. I thought we got recommissioned, sort of like champagne bottle smashed over the bows, relaunched, all that sort of thing, <laughs> but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so first off, uh, today we want to start with a bit of a, a rundown of uh, exactly what you've got to look forward to this year in Arrow Bandwidth. So um, lots of big things going on in, in and around Arrow and the IT industry that we're going to try and cover this year. So we're going to start off this year um, with our Arrow Big Data and Beyond Week. So this is essentially going to be Arrow's inaugural um, Big Data Week where we have vendors and partners come in over the course of an entire week in September. And, uh, and essentially we're going to talk about Big Data. It's going to be a great opportunity for partners to come down um, and really get to grips and understand the ins and outs of what a big data solution looks like and how it can work and how it can work in an organization and, and obviously how they can then take that out to their partners. Really, really useful week. The next thing we're going to go is actually uh, I'm off to Canales in, uh, in Barcelona, which is the big uh, channel event over there. I'm not. No, well, what can great. I say? Can I dial in? Yeah, why not? You can yeah, die. Thanks. And we have some great interviews over there. Um, we're playing some interviews with some of the top execs in the channel. And uh, yeah, we're going to have a great chat. And uh, that'll be an episode that's coming out in October. Annoyingly, literally, the Thursday of the Wednesday I'm back from Canales, we have IP Expo. Yay! So we will be broadcasting uh, pseudo live, just as we did from Cloud Expo and uh, Infosec. Um, from IP Expo, which would ah, be brilliant. That should be Once really again. interesting, that, yeah. Some great sort of commentary and interesting uh, debate from the show itself. And then uh, then to finish off the live outside type broadcast, we have uh, our, our very own Arrow Evolution of Cloud event in November. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. If for nothing else other than to uh, listen to, uh, I think, Steve Robinson, our Cloud Global VP and General Manager is going to be there. I think that's the one. Yeah, so, yeah, that'll be an interesting. So one. that will be good. That will be good. And uh, obviously, in between that, we'll be bringing you week on week every uh, everything that the IT and tech world has to offer. And yeah, keeping it interesting, keeping it up to date. Yeah, got a plan this time, haven't we? Not just making it up as we go along. It did us pretty well last year. It did, but you well, know what? Last season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. So. Essentially, straight on to this week's podcast. It's not just a, uh, a roundup of what we're doing. We've actually got some uh, some pretty interesting content. So, the purpose of this week's podcast is all about 2016 so far. So, at the start of every year, I get asked to write um, some predictions, and essentially, I try and 
make outlandish and sort of hopeful predictions on where the technology is going to in, going to sort of technology industry is going to go over the next year. And it's not just stuff that's very appropriate to the channel. It's you know general industry trends. I call it trends, technologies, and concepts for and fill in the year that I essentially write them in. Um, He's not reashing them each year as he goes along. Promise. Absolutely not. Uh, do you know what? I'm actually not. I'm actually not. I do I, genuinely try. Yeah, I've read I them. Do and you, try. you do start from scratch every year, and there's always something, shall we yeah. say, challenging in there as well. Well, so, exactly. Yeah. You've got to challenge people's perception. And this was the first year, actually, that I'm going to be completely honest. The uh, My predictions actually got pushed back from our global PR department. No. They did. And they said because they were not relevant to the, uh, the, to the channel technology world. And I said to them, well, how, how do you think that? And they said, well, this and obviously we'll go into detail about that what it was in a minute but he said what about this and i said well actually it's very relevant here and they were, oh and it's really interesting because it was like the first time when they were sort of saying looking outside of their bubble of what was their known sort of influence and moving much more into oh hold on well i suppose yeah that that technology does actually relate back to our business because it it relates here and it relates there and it relates the other here. and it it was a really interesting one and it was quite a, a lot of back and forth but in the end, I got every single. You got your own I, way. Well, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I don't know if that's more important or or the accuracy of my predictions, but long and short, that's where we are. So, the other thing I wanted to talk about today, though, was this has been or has felt like the year of mergers acquisitions. This has felt like the year that the channel has massively consolidated and the industry has massively consolidated. Yeah, there's been, there's been, yeah. You know, I suppose it's fair to say. You know, n not a year, not a quarter, not a half goes by where you don't see somebody buying someone or, mm. or something. But you know, it, it's it, it's been in the headline, or it seems to have been in the headlines more than ever the first half of 2016. For yeah. me. So, um, <coughs> in the spirit of being a bit more professional in season two and, uh, and making sure I do my homework before I come <laughs> on, I Good I old went train ride down from the yeah. north. Oh <laughs> yeah, you got to believe it. Can I talk about sweating that two and a half hours on the train? Yeah. Um, so I I went through and I looked at some of the not every acquisition and merger, but some of the key ones for me. And it's a little bit like you, some of these you might think are slightly tenuous. However, yeah, what well, we'll see how they play out. So yeah. so the big one, the real big one, the twenty six billion dollar elephant in the room was uh, Microsoft acquiring LinkedIn. Yeah, that tell you what. For me, that came out of the blue, to say the very least. Yeah, quite literally. I'm not expecting that. And then, you know, you look at... I mean, they also bought SwiftKey. Is that... Yeah, a little less out of the loop, but it's, you know, LinkedIn, SwiftKey, you start to pull it all together and is, you know, the whole mobility, social, connectivity piece, you can kind of see where they're going and where they're taking that sort of thing. Um, the... SoftBank arm acquisition, $32 billion. Um, again, most people, I think, were a little bit taken back by that. First of all, thinking, what? Mm -hmm. Who's SoftBank? And sec <laughs> secondly, wow, you know, they're actually deciding to you know, take the cash and run around. That was, yeah. a, that was a strange one for me. A little bit more closer to home, uh, we had uh, the Symantec acquisition of Bluecoat, yeah. uh, $4.6 billion. And, you know, you put that into perspective, how the mighty have fallen. Look at Yahoo, four point yes. eight billion dollars was Down, yeah. was literally all Verizon were prepared to pay for that and, business. And FYI, that was after a bidding process with other 
Um, I think Berkshire Hathaway got involved in that one, mm -hmm. who are a consortium of various different organizations owned by Warren Buffett and a few others. And yeah. It, they a, still couldn't push the number. Yeah, they could, still out. couldn't push the number up. What? I mean, a bit tongue in cheek is this comment, but I, I don't quite know what what Verizon are up to. You know, you, last no, year they bought they're AOL, now they bought Yahoo. Are they just trying to build the world's biggest version of Wayback Web? I don't know. Well, they're becoming the online museum. Mm, they are a little bit, aren't they? <laughs> Uh, maybe flying a little bit close to the window. No, we, we are, we are. No, no, pull no, back, I think pull back. if you look at the some of the underpinnings of what they're doing, they're buying a listener, they're buying a listener base, right? They're buying a market share, they're buying an existing True. sort of number of people of a certain demographic who are using the web, who aren't gonna move, who are baked into their yahoo.com yep. email addresses. Yep. And to be quite frank, some of the things that Yahoo did do really well was they had a great ad tech platform. Mm -hmm. Um and actually I think that although it's still it's not going to compete anywhere near with the Facebooks or the um, the Googles of the world. Yeah, it's, it's not the worst thing in the world to, to no, have another right. option in the marketplace. Yeah, I think so I think right. actually when you start to bring all of those um, sort of estates together, you could have something interesting or a museum. So one uh, of the who two. Knows? One who of knows? the two. I, the other thing for me as well is uh, yeah, with with a little bit of an eye on on Big Blue. Yeah, we've seen. Yeah, another quarter, I think we're up to number 17 now, where you know, revenues are, are in decline. And, you know, it's uh, this, yeah, this, this shift strategy to, to cloud, it's, yeah, it was 17, it was the 17th quarter in decline, but, you know, it was, it's getting closer. It's getting closer to coming out of that trough. And you look at some of the, some of the acquisitions they've made this year, you know, it's, you know, a, a whole raft. I almost lost count of the number of digital oh, marketing agencies. Ustream for me has been absolute. Do you know what? It's really interesting. I look at IBM and mm -hmm. look to them over the. And you know, used to work for them. Yep. You work very close with them still. Yep. Yeah. You know, over the many many years that I've seen them, I've never ever felt so positive about their future as I do today. It's with, going in the right way. Yeah. With the cognitive stuff, with all of those sort of pieces in a, in a row with the acquisition strategies they've made recently, mm -hmm. it just feels like, wow, they're turning around a corner. Yeah, it I really mean, does. it's not just, you know, I think I'd be a little bit scared if they were, mis you know, if, if they were focusing on, on acquisitions a little bit like um, Easy Source, you know, which very much, you know, that's app discovery uh, for, for mainframes. And he's like, right, yeah, that, that's a little bit old school blue. Uh, but you look at the, the truth and health uh, analytics acquisition, yeah, Cloud-based healthcare data and driving analysis and insights. That so plays into, yeah. you know, you can see where that's going from a cognitive perspective and a push into industry sectors like, like healthcare. Um, another analytics acquisition in Iris, the Ustream, as you say, you know, you look at this this message they're building up over a video services unit, what with a Spearer and mm. CleverSafe and Clearly. It's just, yeah, I think it's the time to be positive there. But still... The single, probably most prolific and massive acquisition for me in our industry, and I uh, appreciate this happened last year, mm. but will come into existence this year, mm -hmm. is Dell EMC. Ooh. Oh, that was something else. The other dark horse for me has got to be the Oracle NetSuite acquisition. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Again, there's a long way to go on that one, but uh, but yeah, you know, I think those are probably going to be two of the 
the biggest ones that will impact the channel. Um, the Delhi MC acquisition. I mean, that's just it's crazy numbers. It's crazy business. Well, that's it's just that's wow. The thing. It's it's crazy in every possible direction. And some of the most interesting things about that particular acquisition for me is EMC is not just EMC. EMC is a full-on federation of stuff. Yeah. Yep. You've got Pivotal, you've got RSA, you've got VMware, you've got VCE, you've got all of these freaking huge organizations in their own right in almost polar opposite directions to each other. Mm -hmm. But when you bring them together, create a really, really valuable, interesting platform. Yeah. And to now bring Dell into the mix and to do it all inside of a private organization mindset where actually you're not under the pressure of shareholders to start doing interesting things. Mm -hmm. I can see some fascinating things coming out of that organization in the next sort of uh, 12 to 18, 24 months. Yeah, and, and I think looking forward, you know, we, we it, it is one of those things, you know, you, you've seen VMware's, you know, slowly and quietly get on with, with their business and acquisitions like um, Arkinet and, uh, you know, the Gilshud over at uh, Checkpoint's been saying, you know what, Checkpoint, we're looking at acquisitions, big and small. Yeah, They're not going to be left out. No. You know, they're not going to be left in the dark by, by the Symantec Blue Coat acquisition. Mm. So, so yeah, it's, um, what, a half, a third of the year left to go? And, uh, yeah, I think we'll we'll be having this conversation in months to come. Well, you know, if I look at the, um, if I look at what the year has to come, you know, if you look at the guys who've got serious capital, mm -hmm. I mean, Cisco, massive capital reserves, yep. they could buy... They've got the compute platform, got a networking platform. Personally, yep. I think acquisition targets for them is application level security. I know that they have security in their portfolio, but it's very mm -hmm. network centric. I think application level security would be a really interesting acquisition target for them. And storage. I think we're going to see Cisco buy a storage partner over the next couple of months. You reckon? Yeah. I'm gonna, well, we can't contemplate who, but I think mm. that's what's going to happen. The other one is still um, Microsoft. Microsoft have got a good sort of, well, three-figure billion <laughs> capital reserve. War chest. A war chest, that's the right <laughs> word. And uh, Sanchezello has done some, oh, my God, of all the CEOs Microsoft could ever have hoped to have landed their f on their feet from, that man is literally rewriting the rule book. As you said earlier on, LinkedIn, mind-blowingly good acquisition. Mm -hmm. The data from that will be unreal. He's also, he's the world's most unprecious Microsoft CEO. Barmer and Gates must be looking at him going, why didn't we think of that? Yeah. I mean, he's literally said, do you know what? I'm not precious about the operating system. I'm not precious about the applications. I want to deliver the world's best services, Office 365. <laughs> Unbelievable. He's done, you know, he turned around and bought iOS's best um what was it, uh, email and sort of mobile app platform yeah. and rebranded it, Outlook for, for iOS. Yep. You know, he turned around and said, it's not all about our apps on our platform. It's not about the Microsoft stack. It's about just having a platform where people can consume our services. It's a genius plan because mm -hmm. it just basically means that whatever anyone's running, Android, iOS, Mac, Windows, Linux, Unix, it doesn't really matter. You can consume our sort of annuity revenue streams. And he, he has been really, for me, the, the classic sort of pivoting force in the industry to be able to pivot an organization from very much a chunky revenue streams to a recovering revenue streams model and done it in a way that has actually 
not really damaged his business at all. So and congratulations. Look, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, if if we did have uh, the the crowd in the room, I think you know, big on round of applause. But it's a good example as well of something that we've we touched on in previous podcasts, which is when you look at you know the technology vendors that we deal with in a day-to-day um, role. It's, we've seen a lot of changes and shifts in strategies. And that's all well and good. However, there has to be that corporate cultural shift as well. Yep. And he's absolutely delivered on that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, And it just goes to prove. You, know, you cannot have success without both. You cannot have one without the other, in my honest opinion. No, couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. So, moving on from from M&A, mm. moving into to actual fundamental technology, so I said trends, technologies, and concepts that yes. are sort of prolific inside of the industry today. So, um, starting from the top. So, some of the th- some of the things that I've I've really seen, um, and as I say, uh, this all got kicked away by our PR department until it took a little bit of explaining. So, yeah. take a little bit of explaining. But the first. Um, the first sort of thing that I thought I really saw a trend in in 2016 and beyond was this term called phablets. For those of you who are squinting at your radios right now or you know looking a bit funny, a phablet is essentially the combination of a phone and a tablet. So it's a bigger phone. Now, when these first came out, maybe three or four years ago, people laughed at them. They really did. But there's a, there's a, there's a very, very strong piece of evidence today <laughs> saying that actually... They are the one of the biggest reasons for the decline in the tablet market is the fact that you can have this form factor of phone, mm-hmm. which essentially is always connected in your pocket, primary device. And let's be honest, I personally hate carrying more than one replicated device at any one time. My back does, I'll say that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and also, they enable a certain amount, a, a bigger productivity space, which means that you can start to innovate inside the app space, which obviously then drives more innovative backends for us. Analytics becomes a lot more consumable on a phablet rather than a phone. And a tablet is a stop, get it out. It's not really a walk, get out of your pocket, check something, put it back in again, device. That's where I saw trying to come from. So what we're saying is the phablet accelerates the adoption of consuming IT on the move. It, it, it just means mobility comes to the fore yet again. Exactly. Well, everyone's been predicting this, you know, the phone's going to become your new, you know, primary computing device. And and by ratio of the time we use a phone as opposed to a time we use any other device, it's there. Mm-hmm. But do we want that? Is that actually a positive thing? And I genuinely believe that with a phablet, actually it did become a positive thing. It became like a nice thing to hold in your hand. It became a nice thing to walk. Now, my question would be, though, so I made this prediction back in January. Yeah. We're now... In August, <laughs> yeah, and and going into September, has it actually turned out to be true? See, I, I'm I'm going to be honest, right, guys? I'm going to be. Comp- I am not precious on this at all. I'm happy to be proven wrong, and that's sort of the fun of these uh, of these predictions. I, I think it's still it's it's still out of out of the norm to see somebody using a. a a phablet today in the workplace. Um, I think, given a bit more time, yeah, I think adoption will be slower than probably we'd expected. But it's going to be there because you know what that a lot of the hard work's been done. You know, from yeah. a point of view of, you know, we look at how um, prevalent 
um, bring your own devices nowadays. I mean, I, I'm sat opposite two guys with uh, with very nice Apple Macs at the minute. Um, and other laptops do exist. Yes, sorry, other <laughs> other vendors are available. Um, <laughs> and you know what? It's 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 becoming more accepted from a um, an IT department perspective. It's becoming more accepted from um, well, I say more accepted. It's becoming more demanded by staff today it's just well yeah I, I can bring my own device will phablet bring about the again the acceleration of bring your own device yeah i think it will but so can i tell i'm gonna, I'm gonna pivot this this prediction though ever so slightly go on because you know what if you get true startup mentality fail fast and pivot so if you don't see something working, don't what we're going to do instead of phablets, don't flog the, do don't flog the dead, hub, dead horse. For me, it's wearables, right? It could, it could be, whoa, 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 Ooh. it could be wearables, and actually, Ooh. I'm going to pivot that into hearables. Now here, we're going to have a three strike and you're out rule on this. Uh, I have to say, I could not be killing this pretty quickly. <laughs> so there are plenty of wearables that are that are bringing that notification, that sort of information, direct information yeah. onto your watch. You don't necessarily need a big phone if you've got the combination of the two, right? Mm. I, the phone is a productivity device, so technically, I suppose. But then, are we seeing much productivity in the phone? Are people still do people still prefer the human computer interface of a, of a keyboard and a mouse? It's debatable. It's debatable. Okay, so again, I think it comes back to what we we're saying about Microsoft. I think it comes back to more of a cultural shift and a social shift rather than what technology enables us to exactly. do. Exactly. I think it's probably fair to say that, that wearables in, in the enterprise today are probably still viewed as a bit of a gimmick. And I would argue that, you know, you, you can't just think of wearables as a smartwatch, not falling for the trick of mentioning brands there. Yes. But you can't just think of it from that perspective because, no. yeah, it depends what your enterprise is. It depends what your business is. Yeah, if you think about the rise in, or what I think is going to be the rise in uh, AR, you know, it's not going to be long before you walk into a service department of a garage and you see guys goggled up, you know, yeah. literally taking feeds from the diagnostics on a car. It's not going to be long before you see people uh, in utilities, so engineers um, yeah. you know, yeah. utilising that sort of technology. This is wearables for me. Healthcare, you know what? Smart sensors, um, you know, putting put in asset tags in the uh, in the patient uh, patient wristbands, uh, wirelessly enabling sensors to collect. You know, gone will be the days of you going to the doctor's kiss. You know what? I'm feeling a little bit like I'm having palpitations. Right, wear this big lumpy pack for 24 oh. hours just so that we can take your, yeah. your measurables. When we talk about wearables for me it's not sort of that it's not just that mix between a you know having a small format device versus having a mid or an large it's yeah i think it's a lot more complicated than than that so i want to throw one into the mix as well here hello, hello miss jenny hi hi doing? there i'm good I'm she good. does exist see She's i am i'm voice. here yeah um is kind of Getting over, getting over screens. So moving away from the tablet screen, moving away from the smartphone screen, um, and actually looking at projection from wearables. So I've we've got a screen up in here in the um, bandwidth studios, um, and I've just put up. Um, I think it's a Kickstarter project. Um, it's called the Sisret. 
don't know if I've pronounced that correctly, but it's Apologies where, if we haven't. Um, yeah, um, it's basically just a band, kind of a bit, like, looks a bit like a Fitbit or something like that, but then it projects your tablet onto your arm. And when I saw this, I was like, that is what I've been looking for. <laughs> like, I just think it's, it blew my mind. I think it's genius. And I love the idea that you could, you know, you're saying with a phablet, you want this larger screen. Well, with this, you could have it as large as, as, large as your arm, as large as maybe the table yeah. you want to project onto, however that mm. works. But I think that's really exciting. That is exciting. And I think the interesting thing is, you know, regardless of what form that wearable takes, you know, the, Im the impact to us in the channel is, you know, <laughs> you might not think that it's appropriate or relevant today, but it, it absolutely is. You're talking about more threat vectors. You're talking about, you know, the, the expansion of the number of ways that devices, components are connected to your enterprise and your network. Yep. So how are you going to secure that? How are your systems going to be robust enough to, you know what, not just deploy those enterprise applications, those systems of records, but, you know, the projectable bracelet, the sensors in healthcare, the smartwatch, the phablet. You know, how are you going to represent your applications and present and surface them to a myriad of different form factors? Yeah. Can are I also you, ask, are you going to do it? Yeah, another social question is, say you go and work for a new employer. Yep. And they say, okay, so here's your laptop, here's your phone, and here's your watch. Get on with it. Yeah, but here's the question, right? <laughs> all of a sudden you start to wear I suppose you wear uniform but would you wear like a watch that your employer gave you would, could you could, ooh, could ooh, an employer ooh, actually ooh, the social dilemma say, the social dilemma you have to wear this watch rather than your watch or you wear two watches and you look a bit special I, to be fair <laughs> guys I've worn I've literally been writing a piece the last couple of weeks wearing two watches at the same time to experience the the wearable experience. I'm, I'm and we've all told about, David he was a little bit special wearing two ten watches. Ten years in the past, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but yeah, and then, you know, on from that, you've got the rice-sized computer. So there's now a computer that has memory, battery, a processor, and some wireless capabilities that is the size of a grain of rice. Um, well, you look, know. you know, there's... And, and apologies, I forget the name of the company, but there's... Um, a company in Scandinavia where uh, they have embedded a chip in, I think it's in the back of your hand or in your wrist, and that uh, is basically not an asset tag, but it allows you to, uh, it's like an RFID, it allows you to gain access to the building. Can you imagine so, paying with your hand? Do you know what? I, could you, could you imagine saying... I would be first in the queue to put an NFC tag as long as I can reprogram it in case I changed banks or something like that in my hand and just go up to those pass pay things and go, boom, give me my sandwich. But no, just... You might start waving your hands around and realise you're paying for, like, everything. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me. He does Sandwiches that. are on me. He does, he <laughs> does do that, but that's not because he's got a chip-enabled hand. Oh, that would be hilarious. That's right. another story. Anyway, so I think... So, yeah, I mean, just to finish that thought off, yeah. you know, it's, it's, this social it's this social dilemma. Yeah, how far before you think, you know what? Yeah, I get my new kicks, I've got my new job or my new role. Um, I'll be honest, I, I'm a little bit of a sceptic. Um, and it's like, hmm, if I'm, being asked to, if I'm being asked to wear a watch or a device, does that mean 
my employee can keep track of me 24-7. Yeah, but I and it's not just that. You but it's like the phone what, is like the what, much better tracking platform. What, what data are they consuming from me? Yeah, now that. Now, this is the interesting one. Very Blood interesting. pressure, heart yeah. rate, health. Yeah. How soon before, you know, you think, well, we can start feeding that into HR apps and we can take, you know, the health of staff into account based on role. When we're doing hiring and, well, more importantly, firing. Well, I, I'm glad you jumped in with that because I didn't want to suggest that. Because that, exactly. Yeah, but gotta, yeah, but you know what? Part of the whole the purpose of this podcast is to be a little bit cynical. Um, <laughs> and that's me being very, well, very cynical. I'll, I'll, I'll just remain paranoid. Yeah, paranoid and cynical. That's the way forward. All right, so anyway, anyway, that was one of the first of ten. More predictions, um, Dave. <laughs> we may well cut moving quickly on. So the next one was, um, and, and believe me, this is nowhere near as interesting a topic. So we'll keep it nice and sweet and short. As we'll far try. as like the world, the impact on every single person in the world, um, security risk modelling. So it's about being proactive. Proactive in the way that you you understand your network and you basically plan for it, rather than being reactive. You are proactive. Proactive stance, paranoid. So security mismodeling is essentially analytics for, for the security industry. Now, we have seen this grow quite steadily over the course of 2016. And mm-hmm. I feel like, actually, you know what? Didn't do too badly on this one. No, no, I think we're going to finish out with actually quite a successful um, non-pivoted, um, non, <laughs> non-failed fast prediction there. Good. I mean, the, I think the important thing for me when you look at this security risk model is, you know, when, when you start sort of moving outside that area and saying, right, you know, so what, what next? Yeah, there's, I think there's, there's research to show that, you know, the, the level of and the number of skilled security experts you know, in the years to come, you know what, we're not going to have enough. So, yeah, when you start looking at security risk modeling, when you start looking at the adoption of the use of you know more more complex algorithms and dare I say AI in security, yes, yeah, this is how I think. Or oh, we're starting to see the vendors going. You know what? Nobody's going to have enough staff. We aren't going to be able to skill people up quick enough, and we're not going to be able to maintain that level of skills and experience. How do we augment it? How do we support that? Not take away, not devalue the role, but how do we make sure that you know that that human interaction from a security perspective is absolutely nailed on? Yep, completely agree. Completely agree. So, next prediction, told you wouldn't take too long, hey. um, is decentralised applications. Now, let me start by explaining exactly what I meant by um, decentralised applications. So, essentially, decentralised applications is the technical term for essentially the underpinning technology of Bitcoin. The blockchain. The blockchain. So it's all about blockchain. And yep. Blockchain is essentially a technology that allows you to, I won't go too technical, but it essentially allows you to uh, can come to a consensus very, very, very securely. And a consensus about anything, about whether or not a transaction has occurred, whether or not um, voting in a certain way w- was done consistently, or more importantly, whether or not multiple people are voting on a certain topic and it's about it's a consensus tool and it's, it's a I'm it's glad a you said that rather than a decentralized ledger because decentralized ledger or decentralized how, yeah. organization and all these good things yeah that's how it's that's um, how it's typically described and and I think people go oh right right, right. what does that mean what mm. does that mean but yeah 
we we share the records, we put them out, we don't keep them in, in just one one place and we have a trust-based system where, you know what, you can only update the records if there is a consensus agreement around it. I, it's, yeah, uh, <laughs> where's this going to go? Um, we will, we absolutely will see this become more prevalent um, and I think... Yeah, IBM are doing a lot around around blockchain. I think that's going to be lots one of their of one of their moonshots. Uh, and you're right, yeah, lots and lots of people are. This isn't going to be one of these things that kind of you know goes out of fashion, goes out of fad. I think we'll find that we're using systems um, as consumers, uh, and and you know, with the interaction we have with with businesses and retail and banks, and that, yeah. We're going to be using blockchain before we know it, uh, and we're not even going to realise we are. No, exactly. And so, if I mean, if we look at some of the hard and fast numbers for this year, um, blockchain, as or sorry, more importantly, Bitcoin, which is obviously the most famous implementation of blockchain at this point in time, um, has grown in value from this time last year, where it took a bit of a, a nosedive. Obviously, we had it went from <laughs> zero value to its height of its value in um, in 2013, when it was over $1,000 a coin. Wow. Fell off a cliff in uh, sort of in 2014 through to its lowest 2015, but it has been steadily climbing to the point where in, um, in June of this year, it was, um, it put $500 on its value from a year ago. Wow. So actually, it is growing. Obviously, I think the truth is, it's starting to level out. It's getting to a point where we're seeing a level of consistency. It's, it's not market. Yeah, it? it's not yeah. falling off a cliff as much. Um, so from you know, from my limited perspective, the you know, the trust in the technology could be there. But if we look at another metric, which is um, probably the, the largest open source um, version of blockchain technology that you can actually download mm-hmm. and create into your own technology, which is something called Ethereum. Yep. Um, you know, if I look at the number of... Uh, there's a, a platform called GitHub. For those of you who don't know, it's essentially a probably the world's biggest um, code repository so people can... for open source projects where people can essentially go and, and contribute and, and pull down code and work on, on projects collaboratively. Um, so if I look at the number of, uh, of contributions... So this is people actually contributing the time and energy to um, the sort of blockchain project that is Ethereum. 150 commits committers in in 2015, as opposed to 50 in 2014. So we are seeing genuine growth, um, and that seems to be growing over time. And I think actually that, you know, it's very sort of tenuous figures, but I, yeah. I get, I have a feeling, and I, you know, I was also at the. Um, Innovate Finance uh, conference earlier on this year, and literally it was in two tracks. It was in the track of those mm-hmm. who want to go through full FDA or F- FSA regulation, this is your track. And then there was the people that don't want to not, it's, it's terrible to say skirt the regulations, but go down the sort of the Bitcoin blockchain type route, whether yeah. that is for very legitimate reasons around implementing a sort of very, very strong. Um, logging system on the back of a trading platform, yeah. or whether that is in fundamental back-end sort of uh, or front-end uh, Bitcoin trading well, systems. This is it. This is it. I, you know, it. It brings about a whole new lexicon of um, terms. Terms. Yeah. Yes. You know, uh, 
you've got the technologies behind the wallets, you've got the technology and the businesses behind the actual exchanges. I think if anybody wants to read up a little bit about blockchain uh, and, and, I'd highly and advise Bitcoin, it. I, I would. Yeah. Uh, there's a really good article in, um, in Wired. Again, other publications are, are available. It's called Beyond Bitcoin, Your Life is Destined for the Blockchain. That should start to put things in a little bit of perspective. And you yeah. should maybe start to think about... Oh yeah, I can see that how, how that might impact businesses in the channel. I might see how that impacts vendors and partners that we work with. So, there cool. You go. So that's that's that one. So the next one was uh, hybrid applications. Now, ah, this is one where I felt I felt actually, do you know what? I'm not quite sure about this, but I think I've been proven right over the course of the year. Um, essentially, hybrid applications is a situation where you've got applications on site. So Hybrid cloud, we all know about hybrid cloud, right? You've got something. I hope in so. The data we did a center. podcast on it. Precisely. <laughs> if you haven't listened back to episode plugging, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> let's fill you in on the notes on that one. Um, but long and short, right? We've got something on prem, something in a public cloud, and yep. essentially they collaborate together to create a bigger than the sum of their parts situation. Now, hybrid applications is essentially taking that to the SaaS tier. So essentially, you've got something on site, application on site of some description, application in the cloud, and they collaborate together. Great example of this was um, that I saw earlier on this year was actually Citrix. So Citrix mm-hmm. has been um, has been regularly sort of beaten up for the fact that it's quite a complex um, management infrastructure to put in place to run the Citrix um, sort of application distribution uh, distribution platform. Yeah. So what they did was they said, well, you know what, let's make it a little world simpler. So literally, you've got on-prem, you've got all your computing power and your actual applications and things, so your delivery is super-duper fast. Yep. But then they've put the actual infrastructure and the management framework in the cloud and said, so if that's the bit you found difficult, all you've got to do is point your, your Citrix environment, your Citrix servers, to the cloud, and bingo, we switch on all that management for you securely in the cloud. And actually, all you've got stored in the cloud is essentially the templates and... Um, and sort of all of that, sort of making sure everything's ticking along nicely, all of your passwords, user sessions, credentials, data is actually behind the firewall. So it's just a really nice way of creating this hybrid application which actually completely overcomes, um, well, what, what, what was a bit of a blocker to business as far as, I, as far as we're looking from the outside inwards. Yeah. And there's lots of examples of this. AD is another one that's recently gone to the cloud. Um, so you can have your essentially... <laughs> Uh, I trust it because it's Microsoft and I believe they wouldn't do anything stupid and I think they do write good code. Um, but, you know, they've put this put the Active Directory system in the cloud yeah. and actually hooked it back to all of your servers and things back in the, back in the environment. So, crack on. Yeah, there's... Uh, I was just about to cut, cut across you there and say there's, you know, outside of Citrix, there's, there's quite a few vendors now that are starting to push a lot of that, those management platforms away from the on-prem mm. to, you know what, well, we'll host it, we'll take care of it. Well, it, you it know, makes... Deliver the system, manage it from the, you know, from, from the dashboards yep. uh, and from the tools that you're used to, but you know what, you don't have to install it. Just run it from Exactly, and that's the thing, it makes perfect sense because yep. management infrastructure is non-business revenue generating. Exactly. As far as a business is concerned, it's, an un- it's a necessary evil, it's a complete overhead. So to be able to say... Don't worry about it. We'll just send it into the cloud, and you don't have to install it, maintain it, manage it, have servers to run it. Perfect sense. So hybrid applications, you're going to see that one grow, I don't doubt, for a second. Um, Next one is, for me, 
I've real. This has been insane. This has been insane. Machine learning. Wow, we <laughs> we have seen. I can't tell you every single day. I am seeing machine learning pop up in some way, shape, or form. Whether that is people talking about it um, from a VC perspective and the amount of capital being pumped pumped into machine learning startups. Yep. Whether that's M and A with organisations buying up, you know, Series A freaking. So literally, first round of funding machine learning organizations to buy up the IP and to get machine learning into anything and everything they do um, through to someone actually on another podcast I listened to describing it like electricity. So farmer in a field and, uh, and he's and sort of back in the early 1900s, he would have maybe a water wheel or he'd have some sheep going on, not sheep, what am I talking about? Some, like, some horses going round and You're round out of your circles. comfort zone here, aren't you? I am, I'm not a farmer. Um, uh, so anyway, my, he'd have a horse walking around in circles that would drive a gear that yep. would maybe mill some corn or something. I am such a terrible farmer. <laughs> I apologise. It's I a farmer. A, Move I, on. I have a friend who's a farmer and he'd be disgraced. So, um, so yeah, but long and short is electricity mm-hmm. comes and the farmer goes, hold on, if I just put motors there and there powered by this new whizzy thing called electricity, I can immediately start to make all of these things are a lot easier, a lot more cost effective. Machine learning is going to be the same thing, where people are saying, I need 100 people at the moment to decipher or to look at pictures or to read text or to make yeah. predictions. Actually, I can put machine learning in place of that. And all of a sudden, I'm down to like one person who just basically keeps pace and makes sure that the, you know, the, the cogs keep spinning on the machine learning algorithm to keep things going. Mm. It is unbelievable. I'm I'm dumbfounded. I think I'm more dumbfounded by your description of what a farmer is than <laughs> the machine learning. But um, yeah, I think the interesting one for me, right, is yeah, we've we've all heard of sort of Google's moonshots, and uh, I, I don't know if if you picked up on um, yeah recently. There's been rumours doing the rounds that um, Google are maybe lo- losing patience with the moonshots. I think there's rumours that uh, Boston Dynamics, which is the robotics moonshot for for Google, for those that don't know might be up for sale. But, 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 still plugging away with DeepMind. And yeah, it's Deep not Mind about... Is turning serious money for them. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's and this why. Is, this is the thing, you know, we talk about DeepMind, you talk about things like IBM's Watson, yeah, and you talk about, ooh, real, you know, cutting-edge AI. It's, it's, that's, just the pinnacle, that's just the pinnacle of the iceberg. It's just the, it's just the very top. You know, machine learning in the forms of, you know, just... Algorithms in its you know most basic of sense, it's embedded in a lot of what we touch today. And I think the other thing that we don't realise is we've been using machine learning for years and years and Absolutely. years. Absolutely. You know, I remember back in the early 1990s, my first scanner, and it had this optical character recognition system where you could literally put a document on mm-hmm. a scanner, scan it, and come back with the uh, yeah. all the letters. It was a, mach- a very basic machine learning algorithm that was using a classification network to understand. Okay. That looks that picture looks sort of like that. Mm-hmm. That must be a two, and that picture looks like that. It must be an A. Yeah. The truth is, fifty percent of all the apps in the iStore have machine learning algorithms baked into them, into the actual app on the Apple yeah. phone, or on, on the phone. And, and the other thing is, once you actually take a machine learned network, you know, yeah, to train it, it's a big data problem, right? And it's a very, very big, mm-hmm. you know, compute cluster type problem. And to run one in real time that's learning and it's optimizing itself constantly, it's a big problem. Yep. But actually, if you just want to train something, you can train it and shrink it down to a couple of meg. And you can embed it on a chip 
Hey, well, look, you it's know insane, and that's the reality, and that's where we're going to go with this. It's not about these massive supercomputers that are learning constantly. It's about where can you practically make a process much more efficient by just doing that repeated, repeatable classification task in yeah. seconds with a device. And you're right, we see it today. I, you know, you just go on to uh, again IBM reference. You go on to the Bluemix Pass platform. Yeah, there's umpteen. APIs that you can access to start consuming elements of um, IBM's Watson yeah. AI. You know, yeah, it, yeah. it's not like you say; it's not the big beast. It's not taking everything. No. It's taking you know the piece that actually is relevant and important to you, and quickly adopting it, quickly taking it into your solution, yep. and getting and it's the return. Very out of it. relevant, highly sort of uh, filtrated stuff. It's like yep. natural language processing. It's personality insights. It's yep. stuff that you can take really, really easily and actually turn into valuable applications. So yeah, yeah exactly. Machine learning absolutely is, is a massively growing piece of the pie. Brings me on to the next one, which is IoT. Now, IoT, obviously, we've covered this at length. At length, at length. Well, twice. But <laughs> maybe it's just mine and your conversations. But <laughs> Probably. But I am I'm a little bit less um, bullish on this prediction now. Are you? Why? I don't feel... I think there's been a huge amount of buzz about it. Huge amount of buzz. I don't necessarily feel, though, that the execution and the scale is there yet. I think it's a great POC at this point in time. It's still an overhyped technology. And that is terrible for me, considering how much I love it. Um, But I just feel it's an overhyped technology. I still think we're missing a few little, little tricks. And I think we'll come on to it in more depth in a podcast in a couple of weeks' time. So yeah, yeah. I don't want to like steal the thunder from that. No, no. But I just, I just feel that we might need to be a little bit more cautious than maybe we were at the start of the year in our predictions of it taking over the world. I think connected devices is a very different world as well, by the way. Just, just to make a, a very quick sort of uh, lie in the sand, a connected device, phones, TVs, Homes. You're going to say we're going to get more value out of that than we will out of an I don't know an IoT dog ball or some dog food ball or something. Yeah, like well, that. this is the thing. I'll is agree it, with you on that. Is one. it a consumer gimmick or enterprise reality? I think that is another podcast for another day. Yeah, I'm going to hold my judgment on that one. Cool. So tune back in for that one. Yeah. Um, right. Two How more many? to go. Two more. Is that Two what more. we've got left? Two more. Come on. They're good. Okay. So the last uh, penultimate one. Gamification. Ooh. Now, gamification, for those of you who don't know what this means, is basically you take a boring old business class enterprise application, like an ERP system, which, to be quite frank, is about as interesting to use as um, watching paint dry, and you turn it into, well, what feels like the interface of a game. And essentially, you build into it league tables, you build into it competition, you build into competitiveness, and immediately, you start to motivate staff to work in a very different way. So for example, one of the things I'm building at the moment is, uh, is a system to help people recycle. Now, you can put as many signs up as you want about you must recycle, you're killing the rainforest, you're you know, dehoming sort of gorillas and, and orangutans. <laughs> don't go there farmers again, please. <laughs> exactly. But the fundamental problem is, if you don't care about recycling, you are not going to recycle. True. So how do you make people recycle? Well, one of the things I'm building for our, our new office at the moment is, is IoT weight scales. You put one, so wireless weight scales. Appreciate 
my last comment probably is ever so slightly <laughs> a, a sort of... Uh, it's all right. We just think it's irony, that's one. all. But an IIT weight scale sits underneath the bin, Yep. weighs contents of the bin. Go on. Right? You put one underneath the general waste, one underneath the recycling, and essentially it says the weight of this bin is X and the weight of the recycling bin is Y. And essentially it tells you in real time what you're recycling. Now that in itself is, ah, it's all right. But what Ooh. happens when you put these IoT weight scales under every single bin in all our offices and you start to get Harrogate to compete with Nottingham, Nottingham to compete with Newmarket, Newmarket to compete with London, and essentially you have a daily table of who's recycling the most. You gamify a business process. Oh, we bring you Super Mario game- into the enterprise. Yeah, well, there you go. So, you know, you are literally gamifying an outcome. Something that was boring and was uninteresting to actually go and do, mm-hmm. you gamify. And that's probably a very loose definition of gamification. But the idea is that you take a boring business process and you turn it into a really fun, exciting thing to go and do. And immediately, you increase productivity. Hey, look, and to be frank, everybody's probably come across it. Because uh, how often do you log onto a website or a service and it says, prove you're not a robot? and you've got to move fruit around or match objects together. That's gamification. And you're absolutely right. It'll come in all shapes and, and sizes moving forward, and I think it'll become more accepted. CRM and ERP gamification, not sure about. Training and education, absolutely see it coming through there. I mean, just see it driving behavior and yeah. that sort of thing. But, you know, it's the person that does integrate it into the boringest of boring things. I'm just system. thinking. I'm just thinking. Would we ever see it from somebody like SAP? Apologies, SAP. Uh, let's save that for 2017. Yeah, let's let's let's. All right, and the last one is the rollout of 5G. Now, 5G. Um, bit of a bit of a long shot. This is one of the other ones that got completely lambasted by the <laughs> global PR police. Um, basically, they. But. <laughs> The fundamental thing is, if you read the um, the spec from the standards body around mm-hmm. 5G, around from the, you know, the FCC and people like that, it is going to be something just insane. Um, so, you know, if we look at the top um, top things on on the old uh, list of, of spec. You're looking at upwards, and I do mean upwards, of one gigabit per second to everyone's phone. That's bonkers. It's about a hundred times increase on what we have on average from 4G today, which would be insane. The other thing we're looking at, which is the other major contributor to where I think it's going to get really, really interesting, is sub one millisecond latency. So if you combine super high bandwidth yep. and super low latency, yep. what you have is your, your phone becomes a real-time system. At the moment, on average, if you do a bandwidth speed test, which I'm a bit addicted to on my phone, <laughs> everywhere I go. Um, by the way, I topped out 120 megabits per second on 4G the other day, completely breaking my 100-time increase, but that's the fastest I've ever seen it. In a field, watching my son play football. Very, very strange. But neither here nor there. I have um, no response to that. If you can create much higher bandwidth yes. and you can create much lower latency, mm-hmm. you cre- your, your phone turns into a thousand times more real-time piece of kit in your, phone, in your hand. Now, think about what we were saying 30 minutes ago about phablets. He's brought it back around to end on this. I have. Look at this, yeah. I have. Brilliant. And productivity and, yep. you know what, social, cultural acceptance, all that sort of stuff. You know what? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's pointless having the tech 
if you don't have the network the and the connectivity and the performance behind it. Yeah, and one of the other things that the 5G standard should do is, and I say should because it hasn't been fully ratified yet, hasn't been deployed at scale yet, so obviously we will see, I'm sure, the specification mm -hmm. come down, but yep. hopefully not by much, well. um, is the actual the, the redesign of the antenna system should mean that we can get many, many, many more simultaneous concurrent connections at any one time. So at the moment, when you're in, for example, a football arena or a music festival, your connection dives down to like E, or should I say 2G, yep. because, not because there's not 4G available, but simply because so many people are connecting to that single base station that it's basically killing everyone's bandwidth and the system's going, oh, I must, must give everyone a tiny little bit of frequency and, and that's all they can have because I'm just completely stuffed. But in this system, it will be able to support infinitely more concurrent connections, which should mean that everyone gets that one gig all the time. Last thing it, they're looking at doing, and whether this is true or not, is do you remember back in the day when you used to be able to have your old, you know, just just made phone calls and text messages phone, and you'd be like literally inside a nuclear uh. bunker, and you still have wife, you still have signal as well as it lasting about three days. Uh, I'm not saying the battery life is going to get any better, but they are looking at how they can days. adjust the actual signal frequency so it can penetrate further. Because at the moment we use a very very high frequency signal, which is basically blocked by mist or a piece of paper um, hopefully we'll have much better penetrating signals which means because we use we can use a longer wave length and fit more into that signal fingers crossed which means that we'll actually get better signal so we'll get better faster quicker mobile signal 5g it's rolling out into test later on this year mm -hmm. it's in test in america it's in test in the uk it's in test in asia pacific come on fingers crossed that's going to be, for me personally, the biggest driver of enterprises to turn mobile phones into genuine, real-time machines that can drive cars, that can do all sorts of very, very, very clever things, which they can't do at the moment because the technology just isn't there and just isn't reliable enough. Mm. So is, it, is it fair to say on that optimistic note, we should bring things to a close and Lovely. wrap up. Is that how we're doing it in season two? You're gonna get you're gonna do the bombshell co. No, no, I would never, ever, ever Good. step across my place and uh, <laughs> drop the bombshell co. That is firmly in your ballpark. Awesome. Well, on on that note, yeah, on that note, it is time to end uh, episode one. So thank you ever so much for listening, everybody. Um, we'll be back as per normal next week now. We and don't. for all the weeks that we can possibly cram into season two um, before we either get derailed or sacked. So, all it leaves Ending me optimistically, to say, please. All it leaves me to say <laughs> is thank you ever so much, Rich. Thank you ever so much, Hannah. My name is David Fern. And thank you very much for listening to, uh, to Arrow Bandwidth. Yeah. See you next week. See you next week, guys. Bye.